Hey there. Welcome back to Who Let the Dogs Out, a podcast where I chat life with cool people doing awesome things. Today, you'll hear from Hiyori Yoshida, she, her, who we first met at Penn through the dual degree m program. Today, you'll hear us talking a little bit about learning languages, differences in Japanese culture, work and Penn education, having two sets of parents from living in the U.S. during high school with folks who were connected initially from pottery class with their parents, hobbies per usual as many of these podcasts are, her long-term relationship with Asher, biking, and much more. Hope you enjoy. Look at all those paintings behind you. Yeah, I got it from Buy Nothing. <laughs> you cut it from what? Buy Nothing. Oh, hell yeah. Wait, I literally got... Do you see this punching bag? Yeah. I got that from Buy Nothing, too. That's wonderful. Isn't that crazy? It's literally $300 or something. Wow. Are there people in the same, like, nearby area, too, so it's really easy to pick up and whatnot? Yeah. It's just for the neighborhood, so it's within, I don't know, 10-minute driving distance. <laughs> Amazing. It's crazy. You every day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't pick up new ones every day but I like check the page every day and I'm like looking for things <laughs> that's amazing and do you punch the punch bag every single day I do it like twice a week is it out of anger or like good mood good mood mostly to practice for taekwondo but then I also think it's pretty loud so I feel my neighbors really don't like it so I try not to do it every morning. Yeah, because mornings for you would be like 6.30 a.m. Though you yeah. sleeping in a little bit more than in college. Yeah, on weekends. But on weekdays, I've been waking up at 6, 6.15. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah, because I wow. like cycling in early because it's nice to get there early before it's too hot and everything. It's fair. You get to leave earlier as well or you stay until 5. Sometimes I'll stay till six. Other times I leave in the middle of the day and like just keep working at home. Oh, that is. Yeah. Sometimes I leave at like three and go home at four and then I keep working because I did that, especially during the winter when it would get dark at 430 because it's not safe to ride in the dark. So. Yeah, literally. So do you have to go in every single day though? No. I only go in twice a week. Oh, huge. All right. Good stuff. Cool. Wait, Shannon, how is the... Fr- okay, so you got there and then I called you and then it sounds like you are having an amazing time. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> when you say you're going out to dinner with your team, is that like your cohort or what? No, it's my company because no one in my cohort is on the same continent even. But... Yeah, it's folks at the team and it's been super great. I feel because I love them so much and I get so much social life during work. I feel comfortable doing my own thing, like working out, swimming, podcasts. I just go out and explore on my own. So Sounds like you're thriving. I heard you're Portuguese, Shannon, in your last... Oh my God. It sounds, I don't speak any Portuguese, but it sounded legit. <laughs> my accent is horrendous, but my vocabulary is starting to pick up. Wait, uh, did you write out what you were going to say and then read it? Or did you just come up with it on the spot? 
the first two sentences I wrote it out and then the rest I just came up on the spot which is why I was like because that was impressive you were talking so fast I was like wow this sounds really (laughs) really good wait do you actually speak Portuguese with all your coworkers, or do they speak English? My two bosses can speak English. So if I really had to write with someone and to get like work done or whatever, English works. But I try to always start the conversation Portuguese because yeah. like I'm here. Like, why would I expect them to accommodate to me? I love that. And that's like, that's amazing. Because I also, when I go to other countries, I try to learn the language, but definitely not at your level and I feel like I'm very like I don't know impressed that you are taking it so seriously okay but it's also so different if you travel somewhere even for a month like it's so hard to yeah and also I have been on Duolingo for months now just knowing the random vocab definitely helps but when you realize like to actually have conversation skills and when they're talking to each other I have no idea what's going on so yeah but unless you're fully immersed like that I wouldn't be able to do this otherwise and the support yeah. is so good for it like everyone is willing to help out we have a teacher who's at our company three days a week and gives me lessons that's insane that's I'm so there. cool you know? yeah wait and you're gonna be there for five months basically five now yeah end of September that's gonna be huge because I visited my friend in Belgium when I was pretty young for a month and even that, I learned a lot of Flemish, the language. And if you're there for five months, fully immersed, you're going to become so good. Dude, hopefully. But as the weeks go by, I'm like, dang, did I really improve a week's worth? I feel like mentally, it's the hardest thing that I've yeah. done in my life. Because my brain just doesn't really work that way. And also languages, it's not natural to be learning now at this age. be easier. When you're younger, but- yeah. I know now is the time though and I have all the perfect resources and environment and so yeah. I feel like if I did it if I wasn't here for six months I don't know how I would pick up a language otherwise like <laughs> doing that for a month blows my mind like I tried in French Polynesia which there's not even that many people there to talk with anyways <laughs> so like still I couldn't order food in French that's yeah. so bad for being there for three months that's horrible <laughs> but yeah it's a lot harder when you're not immersed when everyone around you is not like speaking it. Yeah, but it takes a lot of initiative for tourists and travelers to do that. But yeah. I guess like from this experience, I guess from all of my experiences, I don't really get traveling for a couple weeks anymore, except that I know that PTO corporate world is structured that way. But like, yeah. I'm in somewhere for longer. And then the motivation would be to learn the language. But yeah, that's not going to be feasible if I go to Japan for a week. Like, yeah. That would be really hard, especially because they have three different alphabets. <laughs> and culturally, I feel I wouldn't fit in. So maybe on that. <laughs> what do you think the culture of Japan is compared to U.S.? Whether it's growing up and then working and you see yourself going back there at some point. Yeah, the culture is obviously really different. First of all, these people are all about like, respect and not advocating for yourself in japan are very like subdued and they just want to get along with everyone and be polite and then here it's so much more like fend for yourself pay for yourself you deserve 
what you want and stuff like that. And one of the things that someone asked me once, like, what was the weirdest thing you had to learn when you moved to the U.S. was sarcasm because it just doesn't exist in Japan. Because, <laughs> yeah, people just are a lot more serious. Like people do tell jokes and I don't know, do silly things in Japan, but not as much as here. And I also feel the whole respect thing and politeness thing definitely makes life a lot easier over there. Because when I moved here, like customer service and stuff sucks. And everyone's so in a bad mood at stores and stuff. And I'm just like, why can't everyone be happier and nicer? But then I realized that it's just less of a culture here to be super polite to everyone all the time. And you asked if I'd want to move back. Yeah. I think at some point when I'm older, but not when I'm young. Just because like Japan is 40 years behind in terms of, well, equality for women. So I would have a lot fewer opportunities, I'd get paid less and probably have a lot less that I could do there. Uh, in Jersey, my last week, I ended up meeting a few people from Japan who moved just for grad school and one of them was married. So she came and was finding a job in New York City and... Oh, wow. They had similar sentiments, I think, about the work and career equality opportunity not existing there. And that's why they came to the U.S. Yeah. That shared feeling of no, but it still feels more like home. And I eventually want to settle back down there, whether it's with the family or post-retirement. I don't really know if we got that deep. But how do you think that impacts Japan's economy and future for people who do end up staying and don't have that escape in the interim yeah so I have a few friends who are women who still work there that I went to school with and they say it's getting a lot better actually so like they said that there have been a lot of talks about better maternity leave paternity leave more equal pay so it's definitely improving, which I think is working on because they realize they need to be able to keep up with the rest of the world in terms of economy and everything. But it's nothing compared to the U.S. So I think for people who do want to, who are like really motivated, who want to get everything they want out of their career, it would be hard to do that in Japan right now, which is why people move. <laughs> yeah. What do you think are the factors that are a draw for you to go back to Japan eventually? Like parents, that sense of home, the familiarity of your childhood city. Is it going to be somewhere else in Japan? Yeah. I think I was talking about this someone else recently as well. I really have this sense of like, home and belonging there probably because my most formative years were in Japan and things there were very set for me for the longest time because I moved there when I was like two or whatever and I lived in the same house in the same city for 13 years 14 years so 
it's so familiar to me. And that sense of home and comfort, when I go back, I feel very comfortable with the people in Japan and like my fa- whole family's there, obviously. And a lot of my friends are still there. So all of that definitely feels really comforting when I go home. But then I think for other people, that sense of home is different. I think some people don't have that sense of home with anywhere, which I think is really interesting. And I don't know what it was that makes me feel so at home there. It might just be just because I knew the same people, the same place for so long without any change. Yeah. Fair enough. What do you think makes those years the most formative? What do you consider formative? Though now that you say that, (laughs) I don't know if those are the most formative years. I feel like that's what people say, like your middle school, I don't know, like young teenage years, I think people say are the most formative. But now that I think about it, I changed a lot when I moved here. And I changed a lot, even like after college. So I don't know if I would actually say that those are the most formative years. But I would define formative as like, you're the most likely to be influenced by others into becoming who you end up being. Like that. Yeah, I always feel I'm in the most formative times of my life currently. During high school, I was like, oh, wow. And then college and then pandemic and now. But then when you said childhood, then I was trying to play devil's advocate in my own head thinking, okay, I guess from two to five was quite formative. Like I literally went from not being with talk to like school. Yeah. But then if I think growth in other ways, I do feel I'm still in my ever always formative years of my life. But probably that's, that's just because I'm only able to think maximally about now. Wait, but I I agree. I agree that we're still like in our formative years. Because I don't know. I remember like Sam saying, what did he say? Like after college, your first few years in the workplace, a lot of things will change. And I was like, what could possibly change after college? I'm just going to be working. Like what could change? But now I think back on the first two years and I think I have changed. So I would agree that we're still changing. Yeah. And I guess biologically, our brains aren't developed until 25, whatever that means. Yeah. Although that's coming up. I'm turning 25 in six months, which is scary. Better do all the crazy stuff now and blame it on your brain. Yeah. Seriously, though. (laughs) I was literally like, what does that mean? Does that mean I can't grow or develop after I turn 25 <laughs> you'll be able to grow more wisely into the person you want to be <laughs> not influenced so it'll by be all better. the other stuff. Yeah. yeah it'll be better growth more focused growth <laughs> so what do you think are some of the traits that have changed the most from graduation to now and then what sorts of growth are you thinking about moving forward yeah I think I've become more confident in terms of one I'm a lot more comfortable, not comfortable, but I'm less, what's the word when you're like conflict averse, when you don't want to get into conflict? What is that called again? Yeah. Conflict averse. Okay. I'm less like, I, 
I used to like not even like for example if I went to a store and they like gave me the wrong thing or something was missing from what I bought two years ago I would have just been like I don't really want to bring this up so whatever I'll just deal with it but then now I feel a lot more comfortable advocating for myself and like more confident in addressing these things. So I feel those kind of things I'm able to speak up. And then I'm also more confident in terms of if I go to a party with like zero people that I know, I'm a lot more confident like getting to know people there and like meeting new people. Whereas, I don't know, even two years ago, I probably would have been pretty nervous. How do you think all of that will play into the future and the traits that you're prioritizing on changing or adjusting now and also were you conscious about those traits being the one you wanted to prioritize growing or that's just what you think happened naturally and now reflecting that's the answer so I feel it was something that I wanted to get better at ever since I moved here because I guess in Japan I felt like I didn't really have the need to be more confident or able to like address conflicts but then I moved here and I was like "Someone else is able to do it so I feel I should be able to but I guess I didn't really consciously try to work on it until I don't know about you but until I graduated college I was literally like just get college over with study my ass off and get college over with and then I'll deal with everything else so then I feel like once I graduated college I was like okay now I can work on other things but yeah going forward I don't know I'm sure I have other things other traits or like other growth areas I want to work on but not anything that comes straight to mind I feel like it also just comes, you end up in new situations as you work in the workplace, meet new people at work and outside of work. And then like those situations make you learn new things about yourself and what else you can work on. Yeah. Speaking of work too, you recently made a transition to a new team. What spurred that move and how are you liking it now? I love it. (laughs) what spurred the move so I actually always wanted to be on the data science team like from the beginning when I joined the company so that was my goal from the very beginning but joining the company as an analyst definitely made me want to switch sooner because I realized that one I definitely enjoy the coding side of things a lot more than qualitative work and to the analyst work-life balance is so bad I literally the first month there I was like I am ready to quit right now <laughs> yeah and yeah now I love it I literally only do things that I enjoy uh, which is crazy I always think this can't go on forever but it has been going on for seven months and counting. And my work-life balance is so much better. The team is so much more flexible. 
I think I told you I'm working remotely from Ireland's Colin for Islands in May and June. And like that, when I told them I wanted to do that, they were just like, okay, yeah, we'll do whatever we can to make that happen. So the team is really awesome. And the work that I do is fun. I get so much variety because we do all these like small projects for different case teams. And I get to learn so many different things in just a week. So it's very exciting. Yay. The smile on your face that you're talking about it now versus when we went hiking. (laughs) Who knows when is such a big difference. Yeah, (laughs) that time was rough. (laughs) Yeah, damn. So you see yourself sticking there for a while and how do you think that plays into living in DC yeah yeah (laughs) so that's it I don't know there are a lot of things because I definitely really enjoy the work so I could stay for a long time to do the work but there are a lot of things that I wonder about because one of the things I really love about work right now is that there's a huge cohort of analysts who are my age and we all go on trips together. We hang out outside of work and it's so fun. But then a lot of them, the analyst timeline, they basically leave after three years. So everyone's leaving, which makes me sad because my job is a lot more long-term. So I just see a lot of my friends leave, which is sad. So that makes me wonder, one, will I still be happy here? if all my friends leave. And then two, I think I told you this, but some cases we work on are good. Other cases we work on, I'm like, "Mm, I'm not doing what I would like to be, you know, defending. So I hear other people working for their dreams where it's, yeah, I'm I don't know, saving babies or like Asher, I'm building this super cool autonomous robot thing that'll refuel satellites and like those kind of things that like people really get inspired by. I wish that I had that at work. I always wanted to work in sustainability in college and that hasn't happened. So (laughs) that's still something that I want which I'm not getting. And then three, you asked about DC. Like DC is not my ideal place. I just like it because I have like high school friends and my family's still here. Not my family, but Sam and Melissa is still here. But Asher and I like always talk about moving somewhere because we want mountains. We want better skiing. We want better hiking and rock climbing and there. It just doesn't exist here. So we'll see. Like, I, it's so much easier to just stay here at this company. So that makes me want to keep being here for a while. And probably will stay here for a while. But there are many things that I wonder on a daily basis. (laughs) Daily basis thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. Daily basis conundrums. (laughs) Where are most of the analyst friends going? And also, have you looked into sustainability things around DC? Or do you think the job and the location shift would happen at the same time? Yeah. So most people are moving to 
actually a lot of different places. It's not always the same. My closest, one of my closest friends recently made plans to move to Mountain View in California. So that's far. Other people moved to Boston, New York, everywhere. And yeah, for the move for company and location, I think they would happen at the same time. Just because sustainability things in the DC area, I looked a lot when I was originally recruiting and there aren't a lot that aren't like, I could work for a nonprofit, but I think I still want like a rigorous, that's okay. But then I get Wait, my- I feel like there must be some other software that you can video call and record without a time limit. Yeah, probably, but this just shows how lazy I am. <laughs> Wait, what about like Teams? Yeah, but fuck Microsoft Teams. I hate that. Wait, they also, I don't know if they do it now, but I heard that they didn't have like breakout rooms. And when they did, it was really complicated. And like, what the fuck? I don't understand. <laughs> but it's so easy for me to shit on big companies. I just count the number of employees and I'm like, how would this basic feature not work? But then I understand, obviously, there's a whole lot more products and they basically function like a silly little startup as well. So anyway, but yeah. yeah and making like, sure oh. everything works before they roll it out is so complicated. Yeah. And my boss was telling me, because he deals with other Microsoft, that day after at work is always a mess because things just don't work. Oh, no. I was like, oh, that explains why my PowerPoint and Excel and email today aren't working. And he did like some voodoo magic on my laptop. He was like, yeah, I do this every single month because <laughs> when they want stuff, it just doesn't work. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So anyway, I refuse to use. That. We use Slack at work. It's pretty nice. I love Slack. Yeah, people cite Microsoft for the security reason. And it's like, how could Google not figure out the security thing? Slack is maybe it doesn't have as much of the file stuff that I think Microsoft does, especially with Power BI and all those things. I get it. Google has more of those things. And how could they just not figure out the same security stuff? I don't get it. Security to me, okay, as a computer science major and then data science, how do you feel about cybersecurity, setting up Wi-Fi. I feel like there's basic things in my life that I'm like, I just don't feel like an engineer. Like, I can't explain to you. Wait, literally. (laughs) I literally feel the same. People at work will just be like, oh, you need to set up the SSH configuration file to do this and that and your bash RC file. And I'm like, I don't even remember. What do these all do? And like... When did we ever learn about all these basic things that <laughs> like we need to know to do just set up work environments and stuff like I totally agree. And people just know how routers and IP addresses and stuff work and I'm like someone has definitely explained it to me once or twice, but I don't remember all the details and people assume I know cuz I'm computer science major. But I don't. <laughs> the solution. Turn it off and on. <laughs> Always. So many people ask me at work, like, something's not working. What should I do? It's like, restart your computer. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> it's always surefire. <laughs> Until it comes to yeah. mind, that shit won't fix it. <laughs> anyway. So I think that's some of the difference of the skills that we're trying to build through engineering that I think apply. Yeah. 
but you just need to reuse all those skills and all these different contexts. But that's why yeah. of being so new and fresh, even though you feel you study these crazy theories in school, but who gives a damn after you come out? Like you can't set up this thing that like, what the- I think all these things are very practical, but also things you can learn on the job. Yeah. I think exactly. that's why we don't really focus on it. I think it's super fair. I feel system-wide architecture design would be quite interesting to have learned in school or know more about because I feel that's a difficult concept to learn on our own. Whereas, yeah, setting up this thing, you just yeah. instructions or you Google, it's fine. We can do that. But what I value in education is like getting skills and knowledge that is harder to learn on my own. If it was easier to learn on my own, I just do it. I don't even be in school. But I want the professor to make it easy to learn this hard thing. And architecture design to me, yeah, I still don't really know much about it. I guess I'm not even an engineer in my role. So I feel like, holy crap, I can't really do engineering. After the job, I would have to really put my mind in converting into it. But you've been in the data science world, and maybe a lot of it is more transferable. So I don't know. Yeah, it is. And I think like a lot of the theories, I don't know, especially for machine learning or just coding efficiency, I don't think about like O of N squared and whatever, but having that knowledge definitely helps and is actually like applicable when you're trying to code and make things more efficient at work. So I would agree. I still use all that stuff, but I think... There probably was an architecture class that we probably just didn't take. Yeah, that's super <laughs> Or maybe I took it and I don't even remember. <laughs> there are so many things. There are so many. We took so many classes. I don't even remember most of them. <laughs> yeah, we were on a grind, mate. Three degrees is no joke. But sometimes I look back and I'm like, lol, what a funny time. Like, how did I do <laughs> all that? And I just feel like I was a different Shannon. Even thinking back to... High school me, I was like, wow, I was just like a freaking machine. And I loved it. Yeah. Such a different headspace now. I totally agree. And because that was what the person I was before during college and everything, I was worried that graduating college, going into work, I would become a workaholic who wouldn't stop working, who always wanted to work all the time. But then I realized I got into work and I was like I just want to work less I just want to work minimum hours and then go enjoy my life so yeah I totally agree that was a whole different person (laughs) two years ago yeah literally like the whole pen thing work hard play hard I think now it's like work smart play Mm -hmm. lots yes agreed agreed okay what value do you think business in Wharton had to your education and what was the initial inspiration of applying to MIT in the first place? So I've gotten in such a bad habit of asking two-part questions because I'm going to forget it unless I put it out there in the world, but feel free to take them one at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I was going to say, you ask all these two-part questions and then I answer the first. Wait, this is literally like interviewing. They tell you to write down what the interviewer asks. So you like answer all parts and I'm not doing that. So then I forget the second part. No, but honestly, it's bad on the interviewer to be asking that. But the reason why I do that is because I forget. So <laughs> during, 
Yeah, during pen interviews, though, I was super conscious. Keep your questions freaking short, yeah. Nobody knows, especially in high school. Yeah. So I asked super short. And then I'm not really commenting back like the podcast. And I was like, oh, maybe it's too interrogative. Yeah. Anyway, separate like, <laughs> style. But now I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever comes to my mind and we edit it. Like, I think that's fair. Yeah. No, I think that's fine. And also because sometimes I remember the second part. Yeah. It's in Wharton. Actually, I thought I would never use anything I learned in Wharton. <laughs> but I do. Just because a lot of our analyses are very stats heavy and econ, finance stuff. So I don't know if there's anything specific that I'm like, this class was very applicable, but all those classes, they build up. I'm using things, knowledge. (laughs) I think it was useful. And what you said, like, what was my original inspiration for applying to MNT? I, to be honest, it was probably Sam. Sam is actually the one who turned me on to computer science because I had no idea what computer science was until like junior year of high school. But he was like, you want to save the earth and save the world. If you want to do that, computer science plus business is the way to go. And I was like, okay. I'll take your word for it. Basically, that's how it went. And then I took some coding classes, like junior, senior year of high school. And then Sam's like really into econ and business stuff. So he would always tell me stuff about that. And I thought that was really interesting. And I liked econ in high school. So I was like, I like both. So MNT just sounds perfect. And like, I think I really liked the idea of combining two things or multiple things, which is why I also did, what's it called? Business analytics. Because I was like, I want to do OID and STAT. And they're both in business analytics. So I'll just do everything. A mix of everything. I think that's just like what I like to do in general. I think I just really like variety, getting to try a lot of different things, learning like everything about everything rather than a lot about one thing so that's that is how that ended up happening so you've mentioned sam and melissa now a couple of times do you want to share with the world who they are and your journey coming to us yeah sure um so sam and melissa okay wait i'll start from the beginning (laughs) because it's a pretty wild story okay so my parents we're here in the US for my dad's job. And then they had me, which was very good timing because that means I have an American citizenship, which I talked to my international friends and it's so complicated when you don't have citizenship. So I'm very grateful that I do. But anyway, then they moved back when I was like a year and a half. And then I lived in Japan, like I said, for the first 14 years of my life, where I went to this tiny international school for K to nine. For 10 years, I was with the same people. And by our ninth grade or ninth grade, which was like a freshman year of high school here, we had 13 people in our class. So it was tiny. And So yeah, I grew up in this bubble, like I said, never moving ever, 
with the same friends for most of my life. And then I moved here to the US because I wanted to go to college here. I knew that. And I was originally going to go to a different international school in Japan or boarding school. But then my mom reached out to our family friend, Sam, who she knew because she, when she originally lived here, when I was a baby, she met this woman at her pottery class and they became really good friends. Her name is Peggy. And we visited her and her husband, like when I was in like seventh grade or something. And then Peggy introduced us to her son, who is Sam, who is my mom's age. And Sam and I got along really well. Sam really likes hanging out with kids. Like he just loves being a good influence on kids, I think. And so then the next year we visited Melissa, Sam's partner, and that was awesome. And then so when I was trying to figure out what I would do after ninth grade, what school I would go to, my mom was like, Sam, Kiori wants to go to college in the US. Like, what should she do? And Sam was like, she could come live with us and go to public school for free because she has American citizenship. And my mom was like, okay. So then we came to the U.S. And that summer, we had no idea if it would work out because we also had to go through this whole thing where Sam was going to become my legal guardian so that I could live with him legally I don't really know the details why he had to become my legal guardian but anyway that was what happened and we didn't know if it would actually happen so we went through the whole court process like all these things I didn't know if I was actually living here until August of that summer and I had a suitcase just for the summer and then we were like okay she can stay so then we figured out which school I was going to if I could actually enroll all that stuff and then my mom went back that summer to Japan, so she's still there. And then she sent me clothes and everything I needed because I didn't have anything. <laughs> and yeah, so then from ninth grade, oh, sorry, 10th grade through high school, I lived with Sam and Melissa. They basically are my second set of parents because they are so awesome. Like they made me feel so at home. They have a whole group of friends in Silver Spring <clears throat> where we live who really just welcomed me like I was the new like part of the community and like they all just felt like family, which is amazing. And then Sam and Melissa also taught me so much about everything. Like they taught me how to dirt bike, how to rock climb, how to dive, everything that I love doing now, they basically taught me. And yeah, so then that's how I spent high school here in Silver Spring. And then I went to Philly to go to Penn with Shannon, MNT. <laughs> and I, like I said, I worked my butt off. And then now I'm back in Silver Spring, living like five minute walk away from Sam Melissa, which is really nice. We still hang out a lot. We just went scuba diving for a month together in January. So yeah, they are a huge part of my life. Like, I think I would not be who I am today if it weren't for them. Wow. That is one heck of a story, mate. And <laughs> the fact that it all wraps up 
to today too being so close with them is so how do yeah how do you balance having two sets of parents yeah it's a good question so interesting yeah <clears throat> I think it's very they're so different that it's like now my mom is like my emotional support and then Sam and Melissa are like everything else because they're so close and they like know how life works in the U.S. and what I want to do. So they're very much more like practical help and all that support. And I literally just talked to you about this, but like my dad, I'm basically estranged from, I don't talk to him at all. So I feel like Sam fills that void, which means I don't actually have two sets of parents. It's like I have a mom that I'm really close to and then Sam that I'm really close to. And I'm obviously really close to Melissa too, but I think it was always like much, I'm much closer to Sam. And then Melissa and I also share a close relationship, but it feels more, it feels less like she's like my mom, you know, like she definitely doesn't feel like a mom. She feels more like a, I don't know. I don't really know what it is, <laughs> but anyway, so I guess it feels like I have a full mom and a fake full dad and then it just adds up <laughs> yeah fair enough older sister maybe <laughs> yeah maybe maybe oh. more like a really awesome badass aunt <laughs> yeah yeah makes sense wow do you want to dive into a little bit about all these crazy adrenaline hobbies that you do and how you keep your body healthy throughout all of it yeah how do I keep my body healthy? The problem is I don't. <laughs> I literally just do everything I want to do and then mess up my body because I can't stop. But yeah, I, so Sam Melissa taught me how to rock climb, scuba dive, dirt bike, and street motorcycle because those are their main hobbies. They're like huge motorcycle racers. I think they really wanted me to be really interested in motorcycles, which I was for a while, but I think after my huge injury uh, in 2020, when I basically tore all the ligaments in my left knee from dirt biking, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I love dirt biking enough to <laughs> risk doing this again. So I haven't really ridden since then. I rode like a couple of times, but not as much. I did some track days and some dirt bike classes, but not as much. But that's still fun. And yeah, you said adrenaline. Like, I literally, which is crazy because before moving to the US, I was so like timid. My mom always had to push me to try new things. She was like, Yori, you should try new things. Don't be so shy. And then I moved here and I think it literally felt I was living two different lives. I left a life in Japan. I moved here and it was a whole different life. So it somehow made me more excited to try these new things. And then I became literally an adrenaline junkie. Literally everything I do now is like adrenaline junkie. I love skiing. I love rock climbing I love heights I love scrambling all that 
but yeah I think in high school like it was a lot of doing these hobbies because Sam and Melissa would do it a lot and they wanted to teach me and now that I don't live with them it's like I'm trying to figure out what hobbies I want to keep doing and like I said I'm motorcycling less but I have picked up cycling and that is like truly I love it so much I like it more than motorcycling because it's at least a little safer and it's a different kind of exercise which I love exercising and I'm obsessed with exercising which is why I can't take care of my body because I do too much and then (laughs) I don't let myself rest but yeah in terms of you said how do I keep my body healthy because I enjoy like all of my hobbies are very physical that just keeps me in shape but like I said I'm very bad at taking rest days and listening to my body which I really need to learn but I for some reason this is something that I just can't learn you would think I would learn from it but I don't but anyway we went hiking yesterday and I hurt my groin again because like I have groin injuries from taekwondo that just like never heal so yeah I think Someone on your podcast was talking about like recovery and like the science of like fitness and recovery. And I was like, I really need to listen to this podcast that guy was talking about because I don't know how to recover. But damn, it's so tough. Ayaz was the one who talked about it. The Huberman. Ah, yes. Which I can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I chatted up Miyu the other day. Why am I oh, really? It's been so long. And she also brought it up because she's recently got into powerlifting. And also, Carly talked about recovering from concussion throughout college. And Adam now as well. And it's, oh my God, always healthy. Yeah. Or starting to hit and become yeah. lasting now. And so, it's so difficult and scary. But rooting for you man well, we want to talk about asher or actually hang on okay continue on <laughs> you <laughs> coming soon you talked about how you bought a skiing pass already for next season and planning trip for europe yeah um, what yeah what was the story behind all of that and i guess are you getting your skiing bug out of the way a little bit with these month trips outside of dc yeah yeah So the inspiration for this one that I was telling you about is for Asher's 30th birthday because he's turning 30 next year. It was originally he and our friend Matt, who snowboards, wanted to do this because they are both turning 30. I don't know if Matt is coming, but hopefully. So yeah, we got the Epic Pass, which has a bunch of mountains everywhere in the US, but also a lot in Europe. So the plan is to do all the mountains out there for three weeks in February. I'm very excited. I've never skied in Europe. I've only skied in Japan and the U.S. So hopefully they get a lot of snow because apparently this year it was not great in all those mountains in Europe that on the past. So we'll see. But yeah, you 
like we are thinking of putting it in the ski chat and everything. So anyone is welcome to join for all or part of it. Wow. And obviously would love to see you there. Yeah. That is a gracious offer for everyone. That is so lovely. I, yeah, this is the only thing about the corporate and rotational world that I'm like, how do I only have 10 days off in the year? I think maybe 14 or something. I mean, I only get 16. Okay, fair. But, but to be fair, like like, I do get two weeks pay trip already outside of that. Every six months, we meet with the co and we go somewhere. Yeah, but that's for work. Yeah, so I guess I don't have that many qualms about it because I already feel like I'm traveling because of work. But if this was my full-time thing and I only got 10 days, yeah. like, you have to let me work remotely. I'm so, I'm like, in today's economy, I'm not doing this nine to five office model unless it's in Sao Paulo. I'm yeah. going to the office every day and it's yeah. Sao Paulo, like, dude, yeah. But like, it was in the US, oh. doing that. Dude, and that's crazy. But I feel like- yeah. I'm always reminded of how many needs I have versus like my parents are like, how do you have 20 requirements? Like, it's just a job. You need to go and make money. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> so hard Wait, in college to give us this element of trade. I think it's fair. Yeah. And because the thing is, you have 20 requirements, but there are so many jobs out there and you have the skills and motivation to pursue all that so like why not have all those requirements yeah I feel like that's in the 20s just like not settling like, yeah exactly I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that for a while but I know at some point there's some give and take and compromise and right now yeah. like, I'm not really sure what I'm compromising. I guess I'm compromising stability right but to me that's not really compromise so when is there gonna come a time when I feel like I'm compromising because right now it sounds like you're compromising on location a little bit. You like it enough, et cetera, but it's not checking off all the boxes in terms of hobbies. But yeah, I don't know. When that moment hits, I would be interested to feel like, what is the thing that I'm like compromising on? Wait, but I wonder what if your mindset is just like, what if you never focus on what you need to compromise on? You just find joy in all parts of what you're doing because if you haven't felt like you have needed to compromise anything wait you did feel that in new jersey didn't you that's true but i guess it's because the other priorities were there and also it felt like the best place to do foot surgery so i guess like the mix of life things plus headspace i'm gonna have different priorities in five years right than i do now naturally and the yeah. things that feel like compromise now aren't going to feel like that then. And so, yeah, that all makes sense to me. But to go through life and not really feel you compromise on any part is wild. Wait, that's why I feel like you probably don't focus on what isn't perfect. Because like even in your Ju- New Jersey, you're like, you were like, oh, the location is like meh. But then like, even then you were like, like you just said, it was a good location to get the surgery and you were doing what you wanted to do and you met cool people. And so maybe you're just like, I don't know, maybe you just don't really think about the compromises you're making. Could be. I feel like thinking about running towards the positives, chasing after those instead of running away from the negatives in a way. Yeah. Like I think that's a great mindset. Thank you. 
But okay, back to you. <laughs> you okay? You've made this plan like a year later with Asher, and you've been together for a long time now. Is it Endgame? You think? And how has that evolved over time? Yeah, we've been dating for almost four years now, and we have talked about a lot of things we want to do in the future. Including having a family and living together, obviously for the rest of our lives. So definitely, we want to have this as our rest of our lives relationship. And when did that happen? I I don't know. I think from the beginning, we were very happy with each other. We get along really well. Like we live together really well. We love doing things together. Our lives just work really well together. I feel he's truly like a soulmate, honestly, and it's just very comfortable. And I think for maybe the beginning, obviously, like in the beginning, you don't know if this is it. And I obviously I wasn't sure because. This was the first really serious relationship that I had been in, but I think from the beginning we were both like, "This is pretty much as good as it's gonna ever get." So, yeah, that is freaking wild. And you've had multiple long distance times throughout and back with each other, etc. Do you feel you've changed at some points during that time when you weren't together? And then how did it feel every time reuniting in the same location? Yeah, I don't think that him or I really changed while we were apart. Just because when we are apart, it was times when either I or him were very, like, preoccupied in our own things. When I was in Philly, I was very busy at school. And during COVID, I was still really busy with school. And it's so every time we met up during those times when we were apart, it was just continuing on what we had. And because we like basically called each other almost every other day or something. So not much change that could go on there. But yeah, definitely. It's so much easier when it's not long distance. So I am happy that in the near future, we don't have to do that again. <laughs> yeah, that is huge. And when you both think about moving to the next location, it sounds like a lot of the criteria are similar. So there's not compromise there. Yeah, definitely which is really nice because I have a friend who is in a relationship and he wants to be somewhere else and she wants to be here. And when your desire for where you want to live differs, I think that's like the hardest thing to really overcome in terms of keep continuing a relationship, right? Because like, if you don't want to live in the same place going forward, it's like, how is it really going to work? Yeah. Yeah, that is super tough. Damn. What do you think are some of the traits that make you all compatible? 
One is that we love exploring, trying new things, being active. So we love traveling. We love trying new hobbies. We love always going out and doing things. And I think that is really important, especially to me, because I think I'm like 99% quality time is my love language. So <laughs> being able to do everything that I love with him is really awesome. And he's super, super laid back. He doesn't make a big deal of anything. And I think I am similar. I, he is even more so than I am, which helps <laughs> because I'm very particular about some things and he is able to be okay with that. So that helps a lot. And yeah, I think those two things honestly are the biggest things that make our lives really compatible and like very easy to live together. Yeah, you all seem the most compatible couple I feel like I I have high school friends who are married. So that's different. But especially throughout college, like closer friends. I think it's so amazing. Yeah. I feel like both of Honestly, you are yeah. really grounded people as well. Are there ever arched moments or I'm sure there's debates and arguments like any two people would. But yeah, I just I don't see that for y'all. And it seems so peaceful and strong. Which I definitely really appreciate. Like honestly, yeah, I actually literally almost every day I am like, how did I find Asher? We're literally, it's just so perfect that I'm so grateful that we found each other. Um, and you're right that like, I think we're both very grounded and logical people. So we think through things very logically, which means there is less in terms of they're driven by emotions, which definitely helps a lot. For the world to learn from. <laughs> for me, <laughs> that's good. And you get to ask him questions like, can I put aluminum foil in microwave? Oh, no. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> I get to be the stupid one. <laughs> no, it's definitely going in my intro that you are like peak level, street smart, and book smart, but not the mid tier. Actually, though, <laughs> oh, it's too good. you would think, you would think that I would know these things. <laughs> no, but yeah, these are the things like, why can't I set up Wi Fi? It's also things that, exactly. like, I don't know, are so easily Googleable, or like, you have a live Google next to you, so like, you're just gonna use it. Yeah, no, actually, though, I actually ask him so many easy questions that I'm just like, I feel like I should know this, but I don't. So I'm gonna ask you. <laughs> oh, okay, age difference. Do you feel that? And I guess how it relates to family as well. I know we talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago, but for people who don't know, it's your age that maybe he wants a family, but he doesn't have the biological clock, et cetera. So maybe it's your timeline. I don't know. Yeah. So for background, he is five years older. He's 29. I'm 24. And yeah, like, like I said, like he is because he's older he is very sure 
that he wants kids and I know I want kids, but I am definitely not ready. And sometimes I wonder if I actually do or if I even can be a good mom. Literally the other day, my friends were like, you have to have plants before you have kids, because if you can't take care of a plant, you can't have kids. And I was like, I have killed like three plants. That means I can't have kids. But anyway, I sometimes wonder. Yeah, the age gap is normally I don't feel it. I think for a lot of my life, I have had many friends and stuff that are older, which made me always feel more comfortable hanging out with older people. And I think that was what I was looking for also in a partner. And it helps a lot actually that he is older because I feel like in a guy, especially it's nice when they know like what they want in life and what they want to do in terms of family and stuff. So it's nice that he knows. And I'm sure that it's less nice to be the other way when I am sometimes what if I am not a good mom but he's so patient and he never makes me feel like I need to feel any certain way in terms of having a family or anything but like it's definitely something we've talked about and he knows that I definitely won't be ready for at least I don't know five years or whatever so that's nice that he's patient and it's also good that it's this way and not the other way around because obviously I'll have a biological clock ticking while he doesn't really so yeah it's crazy to think that's in five or so years which is not that far away so I feel the plant analogy is not totally fair because you don't have yeah I agree connection with the plant and it doesn't cry out loud. There's different things. <clears throat> I feel sometimes there's days here, especially when I'm living alone, and I'm like, oh, thank God I don't need to like talk to anyone or whatever. I can just lay in bed. <laughs> you can't really take a day off. So exactly. I'm like, I have that energy level, which is why it still brings me back to just like mass adopting, <laughs> taking time off work and that being yeah. cool. Thing. Like, I want to be in that mindset. But the whole splitting priorities of career, partner, kids, own hobbies, my health, like, that's actually insane to think about. And I don't feel that my energy levels are going to get higher and higher. And so now that I'm living alone, mm-hmm. a day off per se, I'm like, wow, how would you ever do that? I guess you, that's why there's babysitters, et cetera. But like, still blows my mind. Yeah, I totally agree. Literally in my everyday life, I'm like, how do parents have time to take care of their kids? Like I feel in my life right now, I like, how? There is no time. (laughs) There is no time, even for dog. Yeah, I don't understand how just the average human does that. But yeah, I guess I'm thinking it right now is only draining energy, but obviously it brings energy and positive emotions too, but it's still just, I can't really envision what that means and feels and I have zero desire. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And I think it's just something that you, okay, my friend did say, because she has a dog and she was like, when you have a dog, you 
somehow something changes and you want to do everything you can for this dog. And I think it just is something that you can't understand unless you have a dog or a human that depends on you. Yeah. Okay. So then maybe wrapping back to climate change sustainability, what do you think the future of human population is by 2050 and how will that impact you having kids? Oh my gosh. I always hope for the best and I'm hopeful, but 2050, like, I think things could be pretty dire because food shortages are going to happen. We're still growing in population. Um, natural disasters are going to be worse. Even if we do some crazy things right now to try to mitigate everything, things are just still going to, I think, are still going to get worse. And I have no idea what that means for kids that we'll have because that's when, what is that? That's 30 something years from now. So they'd be like 20s or something. That's like the best years of their life will be, I have no idea what it'll be like at that point. But like Sam always has the most negative views of this. And he's, there's going to be mass starvation and conflict everywhere because of that. And I hope it's not like that, but honestly, I don't know. Do you think he is building certain skills or experiences to protect him when it actually gets to that point? And there was some stat, 30% of this age is preparing for an apocalypse. What that means? Like buying land, a gun, stuff like that. That I'm like, oh, wow. But what is Sam doing? What is he thinking about how to protect himself and people that he cares about? Yeah, I think he does definitely think like of the worst case scenarios to be, be able to protect himself and others more than necessary. That was definitely the case for COVID. He thought that COVID was going to be like a forever thing that we would never go back to life like it was before COVID, which is obviously not true now. Uh, he reads a lot of like history books and historical things that I think he bases a lot of his thoughts off of. And so I think that's why he like immediately goes to international conflicts and starvation, blah, 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 and for climate change. Uh, but sometimes what he says, not sometimes, all the time, they are based off of real like reasoning and facts. So a lot of things he did say about COVID did come true, like how all the rest of our college experience really was online which I didn't believe originally I was like no way but of course that's what happened but I think in terms of climate change I think it'd be really hard for him to really know too just because this hasn't it's not like war or mix that has happened before I guess climates have changed before but not in the same way that it is changing now so yeah, I think I'm just trying to be hopeful and I'm not thinking too far 
and making assumptions of what'll happen, but it definitely won't be the same world we live in now. How long do you think he's had these thoughts? Because the more I think about it, it's so much easier to be negative about these things, especially when I feel like I'm not contributing against his situation. And I feel the reason why it's on my mind is like retirement, 401k. Like, why am I putting all this money in savings if I'm not going to be able to use it or retire? Let me just live it now while we have it now. And obviously, yeah, I'm going to try to protect myself in the future, but because I just see it being such an unknown that I don't know what actions to take now, except that I know I have today and I know I'm making money today. And I would have the hope that if we're under the same capitalistic structure, then future me will have even more money to take care of even future me. So then it makes me consider why then do I save for these things? But I guess the reason that I've come to is like, I do want a car and a house that would happen in the shorter term before the world going up in flames and you can borrow from yourself in your 401k to buy these things. So, okay, that's why I do it. And I want to pay less tax now, but like, I don't know, the whole next generation, I feel is too far for me to think about, but I can think about what actions am I doing today because of this future world that I see. And then if I don't see the future being that way, then I should adjust my current actions. Yeah. But also like we were talking about earlier, like we are so lucky we are very privileged and like being able to be in this situation I think we can put ourselves in situations in the future where we will be the least affected by climate change or anything else that happens which is why I still am also saving up in my 401k because I'm like even if the world elsewhere things are not going well, I think that we will figure out some way to have at least a life that we want or close to a life that we want, Um, which I don't know, maybe I should be putting that 401k to helping others. Yeah, I think about that concept of helping others, especially when I come to a new location, giving to the economy, helping others. But I don't know. It's so tough. And then I always fall in the trap of thinking, oh, what's the best way to spend the money? What's the highest impact, et cetera. But sometimes yeah, like it doesn't need to be highest impact and having good impact is doing enough. And yeah, it's, it's definitely tough to balance, but I feel like the skills that are needed to survive in a dismal 2050, I ain't got none of that. And then I'm thinking like, okay, my physical health would have to be really important. Yes, I think we will learn. And we will learn whatever skills we really need. And honestly, yeah, as long as you have your physical health, like, we'll figure it out. Lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. What is one thing you wish everyone knew? Also, did you think about these already? So I thought about the what you can't live without one. And I thought about this one. But I honestly, I think this question, when you would ask it to everyone, everyone had such great answers. And I actually like thought about this and I was like, I have no idea. In my mind, I'm very much like, I live my own life. And I don't care what other people know or think like, they can do what they want to do. So it's really hard for me to think about what I wish everyone knew. But I guess 
one very random thing, or I guess actually two things. One, people hate cyclists. Like people, like pedestrians and drivers both hate cyclists. And I wish people knew that cyclists are just nice people who don't belong because we don't have a dedicated footpath, like sidewalk. We don't have a dedicated road. So that's why we end up in the road or the sidewalk and then people get mad at you but we're just trying our best here I think that's what I want people to know <laughs> that's a really good one what was the second <laughs> oh the second thing was people hate cyclists but they also it's kind of scary how like people don't watch out for cyclists like especially drivers and pedestrians honestly like people just turn on red right in front of you and not even notice that you're trying to cross if you're on a bicycle and then like pedestrians will just they'll be like on their phone and they will literally turn right in front of me and walk towards me and I'm ringing my bell like ding ding and they won't even look up so that's the second thing I wish people would pay a little more attention just for the safety of both of us I think that's really neat I don't know why you prefaced <laughs> with all the other stuff. Also, I think it's super valid that there's not a philosophy that you wish everyone adopted. Yeah, because I don't know. These things that I said are just really practical things that are really random that don't apply to people most of the time. I love it. I cool. feel that as a cyclist. Cool. And <laughs> the whole opening yeah. the door into the bike lane. Bro, you need to not do that. Yeah, (laughs) or parking in the bike lane. It literally says don't park in the bike lane and people still do it. And then I have to go around them and then the cars are honking because I'm like in their way. And I'm like, it's because of this other car. Yeah. It's a hard life out here as a cyclist. I'm too. But then I always blame it back on the infrastructure. No, actually, though, it is really mostly infrastructure. But then that's like a less controllable, right? But that's why we need to advocate for safer, protected bike lanes uh, everywhere, not just on like the big streets. I feel like US infrastructure is just not safe for public transit. There's none of that. But like when you do it throughout cities, because you're trying to get from A to B and you like, it's quite difficult yeah and dangerous honestly yeah so that's what we think about when i'm biking throughout sao paulo when i went to the philippines the traffic was crazy drivers were a little crazy and that is what i imagine it being there i think so far i've done such a small percentage of it and literally on just a sunday right where the roads are closed so yeah <laughs> it's not even anything but normally it'd be we'll see i don't know it's been a month Maybe if you get here, I'll have the balls to do it. Careful. The guts. I don't like the phrase, the balls, because this actually makes sense. Balls are super weak. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Yeah, no, actually, though, I agree. Pussies are strong. Yeah, it's not as sensitive. Yeah, actually, it doesn't make sense. Okay, (laughs) what are three things that you can't live without besides the necessities? Okay, okay, so I think number one is my goal health because actually like I already said this but literally everything I enjoy involves physical activity and whenever I injure myself even a little bit 
I get so sad and so cranky. I think the scariest thing for me would be to be paralyzed. Because what do you even do at that point? Like, I think I would actually just lose the motivation to live. So physical health. And then you said that, wait, I don't know. If I say people, I have to choose like specific people, right? Yeah, so I know that's kind of weird. <laughs> I've let some people just say friends because I don't know. I'm not really trying to go into all that. Well, okay, but then you have to pick, how about this? You have to pick between friends, family, and Asher. Or I know, that's the hard thing. I'm like, I need all three, but I already picked one. So I will say, okay, I'm going to say friends and Asher because... I definitely need my family, but then now I realize that Sam and Melissa aren't actually family and they're more like friends, so they would still count. <laughs> and then you won't share those with your mom and dad. <laughs> exactly. Oh, too good. All right. Content recommendations? Okay, so one, actually, I only have one right now, but it's, have you heard of the moth? Oh, yeah, but I haven't interacted or engaged much what is that again it's a podcast that is basically people telling stories it's all just people telling stories actually and they have like live events where they have like story slams where people tell stories and I listen to it I've been listening to it a lot recently just because some stories are really funny and it's just fun and other stories are super moving and I think you learn a lot from your own experiences obviously but you also learn a lot from other people's experiences and just hearing what people go through in life through their stories I think teaches you a lot so that's my recommendation ah this does sound beautiful I'm on the website right now and one of my friends wanted to start a podcast where people just talk about stories because I interviewed him for this so yeah I just said to do it. let's see what he says but yeah that is beautiful and it seems like a lot of diversity on here too yeah different languages it's like people from all over the world they're all in English that I know of but it's like people from everywhere that's amazing I want my, my goal for Portuguese is to yeah well where I can put my co-workers on this podcast in Portuguese that would be so cool. Do you have opinions about English converging? Maybe isn't the right word, but becoming like the unofficial global oh, language. Yeah. I, okay, so when I went to the Philippines, there they have so many, I don't know, hundreds of languages for each of their hundreds of different, I don't know what it's called, like ethnicities or whatever. And because they're so different, they're, official language in a lot of places is English because it's the common language that they have which I thought was crazy and I don't know sometimes as a native English speaker going to other places I feel bad that like our language is the shared common language but then also it's not like we're like imposing this on other countries, but it has become something that other countries 
also use and is a convenient language for even people within a country to speak to each other. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just like a very logical thing. Fair enough. So when the world goes dismal, at least we can talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> at least we have one shared thing. True. That is the skill that I have to protect ourselves, English. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least you're already fluent in the global language. <laughs> but then communication will happen in other ways and survival and money's not going to mean much. And that's crazy. So All I right. can't worry about it too much. <laughs> True. Anything else you want to share with the world for today? <laughs> I don't think so. That's fun. Also, we should all catch up on our in our group chat. I want to hear what everyone's plans are in terms of the next few months. Especially now that Sophie has made a milestone decision. I just want to say, I think you are doing a great job with this podcast. It's been really fun listening to your episodes. And I am so looking forward to the one that you do for yourself. Oh. Thank you, thank you for sharing everything so openly today. That was a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, it was fun. I'm sorry it took so long for us to talk. No, wait, I was going to say, I feel like I can literally talk to you for hours. A lot of people. I know. It feels super natural and comfortable with you. So even online. I know. It's so nice to catch up. And yeah, I'm very grateful for <laughs> our friendship. Yay. So <laughs> me too. And even though group trips and stuff are super nice, I feel like you never get these one-on-ones. But yeah. you're doing something later, no? You said you were free for another two hours? Yeah, I am going to go see Le Miz. Oh. Tonight. The Kennedy Center. At least a little bit, because the Kennedy Center is nice. <laughs> oh, that'll be cool. Send pictures to the chat. Yeah, I will. All right. But kill, kill. the chat, Miori, per usual. Yeah. See you later. Catch you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap for now. Hiyori Yoshida, everyone. See you on the next episode of Who Let the Dogs Out, a podcast where I chat life with cool people doing awesome things.